global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We've got 13 minutes to go ahead of the close on a Thursday. Stocks are pairing their losses, and this update is brought to you by National Realty, providers of 100% satisfaction guaranteed. New York City Realty Investments. See them at NR. IA.net. Right now, the S&P 500 index down a point at 2,097, falling one-tenth of one percent. NASDAQ is up 18 points, a gain of four-tenths of one percent. Dow Industrials up 26 points, a gain of two-tenths of one percent. Gold down 660 the ounce to 1360, a drop there of five-tenths of one percent. The yield on the 10-year, 1.38%. The 10-year down 5.30 seconds. And crude now at 45.11 for a barrel of West Texas Intermediate down 4.9%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Will they or won't they? Will the Federal Reserve raise interest rates one time this year, twice this year? Well, what is the Federal Reserve going to do based on votes in the U.K. to leave the European Union and sluggish economic growth around the world? Well, let's find out from Russ Kosterich. He is head of asset allocation for BlackRock's Global Allocation Fund, helping to manage over $4 trillion. He joins us from San Francisco. Russ Kosterich, thanks very much for being with us. All right, so give us your outlook for the Federal Reserve's policy. Well, I think in the near term, it's probably more the same, which is remaining on hold. Uh, the pre-exit is a bit difficult at this point. Really, what it's about is uncertainty. What does it mean for the U.S. economy? Arguably not much, but... If, if things do get rougher in Europe, that could affect consumer confidence. It could affect business confidence. And I think the Fed is going to want to sit back for a bit and assess that before they raise rates. Well, then, boy, that, that really does seem to me, Russ, if you think about it, that could easily then mean that they're going to be assessing at the end of the year because the negotiations between the U.K. and the E.U. are going to take a while, number one. Markets will settle down, right? But um, – I, unless they're just mainly looking at financial contagion and, and tightening financial conditions, maybe that sorts itself out by this autumn. But if it doesn't, then they could, I guess they could say, even if the economy picks up, they're just going to sit there? Well, certainly this is something that's going to linger for a long time. And Kathleen, you're right. This is not going to get settled in a couple of quarters. We're going to be dealing with the uncertainty for many years to come. I think the way I'd frame it is, is there enough pressure in the domestic economy to give the Fed conviction that even if things do become a bit unstable in Europe, the U.S. economy is going to be all right. And it's worth remembering the last labor market report we had was disappointing. It suggested maybe some of the momentum is coming out of the U.S. economy, maybe it's coming out of the U.S. labor market. And in that context, I don't think the Fed feels the need to rush. Now, if we see an improvement in the data – Well, if there's enough of an improvement, that may trump the uncertainty from overseas, and we may wind up getting a hike by the end of the year. But at this point, it still needs to be proven. Russ Kosterich, if you're talking to people that invest in equities, they're looking at returns for the S&P 500 of about 2.5% so far this year. Should they continue to buy equities, or should they just hold off on rebalancing, perhaps, and continue to buy fixed income, which has been the major performer? I think you prefer equities over bonds, certainly within the global allocation fund. You know, we've got not, not, neither one is presenting a great value right now, but between the two, 
uh, U.S. stocks do look cheaper than bonds. The problem is we've had the seven-year bull market, with a lot of that being driven by multiple expansion, people willing to pay more for dollar of earnings. Bonds in the U.S. have never been this expensive. So what it means is that if you look at a typical portfolio with stocks, maybe 60 percent, bonds at 40 percent, you've got to assume lower returns going forward than we've had over the past five years and maybe even than we've had over the longer term. Well, how about the jobs report tomorrow? Because Dave Wilson, our stocks that are made, the, the, the simple, clear point, you know, it, it's simple, but it's so true that ultimately as you, you know, start looking ahead to earnings and you're looking down the road, maybe not just for a quarter what I purchase and invest in, but for the longer term, if you don't get much growth, that's going to be tough for a lot of companies to post better earnings, right? So uh, when you look at the report tomorrow, what is going to be the linkage between higher number than forecast, lower when we're looking, first of all, the trading reaction tomorrow in stocks and then down the road? Well, I think the training reaction tomorrow is really going to come to, is it a good enough number that it gives you some conviction that the recovery is on track, but not so strong that it's going to scare the Fed? So something in that 150, 175 range, that's probably a market-friendly number. It's close to consensus. It, it makes you feel that May was a bit of an aberration, but it's not going to scare the Fed into getting aggressive. Longer term, you know, I, I think the importance of these numbers is, as I said, we've had a bull market largely based on multiple expansion. It's going to be hard for U.S. companies that are already very profitable to grow their margins. If stocks are going to rise from here, they need to rise on higher earnings, which needs to happen on the basis of higher revenue. And for that to occur, the economy has to accelerate. And unfortunately, we've been stuck in this slow growth mode for a very long period of time. Yeah, but Russ, doesn't it really take increased buying to move stocks higher? I mean, it doesn't really matter what the companies do. You can have companies that don't make any money, and people will still buy the stock. you just got to have willing buyers, and they don't seem to be appearing on the market. Well, I, I think, Tim, I think you've nailed it. We don't have willing buyers. We've got a lot of money. We've got a lot of money on the sidelines. And honestly, if you're putting new money to work, it's less exciting doing that. When the S&P 500 is trading at 19 and a half times trailing earnings versus four or five years ago when the multiple is a lot lower. If we're going to get the gains, we can't rely on as much of people constantly willing to pay more for dollar of earnings. We've got to see that companies are starting to raise their estimates and there's some acceleration in the earnings they can generate. So if, if we want to get a little more specific about this kind of world, Brexit uncertainty, uh, it takes time to play out, Fed may be uncertain, don't really know about the economy. Do you go to something solid like maybe the healthcare industry? Do you turn to commodities, some of which look like, you know, they've, they, even though there's been a lot of volatility lately, they've hit bottom, they're moving higher. Where do you go first? I think there are a couple of things. We, we do like healthcare. I think healthcare is one of those parts of the economy where you're going to see secular growth. We know we're all getting older. The country's getting older. People are spending more on health care, less on things like apparel. So that's a, it's a long-term structural shift that I think benefits the sector. Second, Kathleen, you mentioned commodities. You know, the one asset class that has been doing well for what I think are obvious reasons has been gold. And if we're in an environment in which the Fed and other central banks are going to keep pushing real interest rates – to zero or below zero, that's an environment where gold typically does well. So that's another asset class to think about if we're stuck in this world for a while longer.
Yeah, but Russ, if you if, if what you say is accurate that the central banks are going to continue to push interest rates even lower, why not just go out and buy some bonds? Looking at the ten year, if you had bought the ten year, the U.S. Treasury at the beginning of the year, you would have made over thirty eight percent. Well, the, the the rally in bonds has been extraordinary. Certainly, it's nothing that many people predicted, and I think bonds have a legitimate role in the portfolio. The question is how much. Uh, you know, certainly some of the longer duration bonds, you are getting some pickup from what you're getting on the short end of the curve. And the other advantage of that asset class, which is why I think you do own some of them in your portfolio, is they have proven a very effective hedge when stocks have been going lower. On the other hand, are you really going to pile into bonds with a 10-year yielding 1.38%? You know, for a taxable investor, for most of us that pay taxes, that means that your after-tax income is actually going to be below the rate of inflation. So what I'd like to know about technology in here, because sometimes it seems to be in its own orbit. And, of course, we've got everything from chip makers to social media to, you know, uh, old line companies like yep. Microsoft. Anybody you like in there in this kind of environment? Are they Have some of those companies, for example, become almost sort of above all this or apart from it because they're so much on their own trajectory? Well, I think it's a really interesting point, and certainly they're parts of technology that have, have demonstrated that they're going to keep growing earnings even in a slow-growth world. And technology is one of the sectors we like, and it sort of goes back to the argument I made a moment ago about healthcare. You know, in a slow-growth world, you're not getting that lift that we normally receive from a growing economy. But there are segments that are benefiting from greater wallet share. We're all spending more money on technology just like we're spending more money on health care. That's likely to continue, and that's one of the reasons I think that sector can continue to do relatively well. Russ, uh, anything to do with hard assets? Uh, you mentioned gold briefly, but I was thinking, for example, of real estate. Boy, I mean, if you can actually borrow the money, uh, you're almost getting the real estate for nothing. Well, that's a, that's a great point, and I think real estate is a little bit harder to access. Certainly, there's a liquidity issue. It's, it's not as easy to sell. But any real estate that has income-generating properties, I think that's another place that investors want to look. And, and the reason's not hard to understand. Anything that can generate income, whether you're talking about a piece of real estate or you're talking about a dividend-paying stock or you're talking about a, a bond, uh, let's say a corporate bond, people are flocking to those asset classes because the traditional sources of income, cash, government bonds, municipals, are just paying a fraction of what they paid 10 or 20 years ago. Well, Russ Kestrich, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've really set the table for us at the stage for the jobs report tomorrow, dealing with the uncertainty of Brexit, the Federal Reserve, and so much more. Russ is head of asset allocation for BlackRock's Global Allocation Fund. Well, we're heading into the close now. We'll be joined by Dave Wilson, our stock setter, to look at the movers and shakers. Got the Dow actually down two-tenths, 32 points at 17,886. The S&P 500 down about a tenth, two and a half points at 2097. The NASDAQ is up a third of a point, 16 to 4875. This is Bloomberg.